Hey friends, and a very happy Father's Day to all of you dads, dads of all kinds. And if you're like me, you've spent a lot of time wondering if you're more like an avalanche or more like a glacier, right? I mean, it's not just me, right? If it's you, please put it in the comments down below. I'm just kidding, but I want to explore those two images today. And the first one is an avalanche. I mean, look at that. lots of activity. You can see movement. I've never witnessed one, but I've heard that it's loud. It can knock over trees, buildings. You don't want to be caught up in an avalanche. And it reminds me so much of what our culture values these days. We love to see quick. We love to see big. We love to see loud. And we like to see action. But as I've meditated on this, it reminds me of Genesis 11:4, when they said, let us go and build a city and a tower whose top may reach unto the heavens and let us make a name lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. They wanted the quick, easy way, the Tower of Babel. They were trying to get up to heaven. They were trying to, to draw glory unto themselves. And if you know much about scripture, you know God doesn't share glory with anybody. And our, and our culture loves that. We love to see the quick rise to fame. We love the young genius that creates something in their dorm room that the whole world knows about, solves a big problem quickly. But contrast a flashy avalanche with a majestic glacier, this giant piece of of ice and both glaciers and avalanches, they start with a, a small piece of frozen water and it builds and builds. But these glaciers, they take a long time to form. They don't happen overnight and they don't disappear overnight. If you stare at a glacier, you can't see it moving. Every now and then, I guess during certain times of the year, you can hear them cracking and, and groaning, but it, there's not a lot of action but just one glacier can make a mark that lasts for thousands and thousands of years. You can see a place where a glacier was and it's carved out a giant valley. You can look at a glacier and see a giant lake left behind that's uh, supplying water to thousands of different kind animals, different species, supplying water to cities. What do you want to be? What do you want your life to be? an avalanche that, that, that's big and loud and furious? Or do you wanna be the kind of person that leaves a mark for thousands of years? I've been asking myself this question, but also asking myself, what kind of church are we building here together? If you're here for the first time, if you're just checking this out, welcome. I'm, I'm, I've been thinking about what kind of community are we inviting you to be a part of? Are we just trying to be a flash in the pan thing? Trying to be relevant? I love being relevant. Or are we trying to build a community that, that is, a, is an embassy of heaven here on earth that will leave its mark for generations to come? Jesus talked about the way this reality is set up in terms of a mustard seed. And when I say reality, I like to interchange that for the kingdom of God. He talked about this thing over and over in, in the gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He always compares, hey, this, this kingdom of God that's here and 
not here at the same time. I love thinking about it as Jesus saying, this is how it really is. You know, there's the way the, the culture works and the way the, the systems of this world works. There's different cultures and, and different nations have different, different rules. But here's the rules in God's kingdom. And he talks about it in terms of a tiny mustard seed, huge in the ancient Near East. In Matthew 13, verse 31 and 32, he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that birds come and perch in its branches. I looked up an image of a mustard tree. And there's, you can find these on the internet and it, 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 it's kind of wild. It grows all over the place. Some of them are really shaggy in their, their leaves. It's foliage are kind of all over the place. It almost, some of them to me remind me of a Jim Henson puppet on the Muppets that's kind of uh, floating around. Uh, and, and those mustard trees remind me of glaciers. It starts out small takes a long time to grow, but I love that image of this small thing turning into an organism that provides shade. You can imagine, in the Middle East, for those, for those of us here in Rancho Cucamonga, we're not far from, uh, like my six-year-old calls it, the real desert. You'd want some shade in the desert, that birds come and perch on its branches, eat the little bugs. I want to be a part of a community that, that starts out small and, and doesn't discount the small and, and becomes this thing that can provide shade and rest, refreshment and healing to those that are broken, to those that are, that are weary. Let's be like mustard seeds. Let's be like glaciers that, that we don't get caught up in this, this impulse uh, to, to make our voices louder and say, oh, no, look at me. Look at what we're doing. Let's be the kind of community that, that provides shade to people. And you know what? I see a lot of that already. That's the kind of community solid ground is. That's the kind of people that are here. I'm just naming it. And I want us to double down on that because that's the kind of community we're becoming that, that does this on purpose. And that's what all of you are invited into. So with this small, this idea of small, slowly progressing into something that is deep and, and meaningful and significant and, and helpful to the world, if you're taking notes, here's the first point I want you to write down. Let's see the spectacular in the supernatural. And not just in the supernatural, like, ooh, stranger things kind of vibe but in the incredibly natural. If you're watching a glacier grow, it's hard to perceive. If you're watching a mustard seed grow, you don't see a lot of action, but over time, it grows into something significant. And life is so much like that. You know, Eugene Peterson described following Jesus as a slow, steady walk in the same direction. You know, 
Uh, our life is filled in different stages with, with final exams, with wondering, uh, who am I? Wondering, are, do people notice me and it, as we're young? Are, wondering, that day-to-day -day wondering, am I, am I going to graduate? Am I going to get a job? Is someone else going to like me back? I want to date people. I want to get married. And uh, as you grow into young adulthood and in your 30s, so much of life feels like, oh, my life is filled with jelly-faced toddlers and reverse hostage negotiations. Please just go to bed. Stay in that room. Okay, one more book. It's slow. It feels like a grind. Then as we grow, the ache of seeing your kiddos grow up and, and think, oh, I, I miss that jelly-faced toddlers. Or maybe for some of us where there's the ache of grinding through a day to day of, oh, my kiddos are grown and gone. I wish I just had a little bit more time with them. Or maybe your grind is one more nine to five day. How am I going to get through this? There's not action. Where's, where's the results? Where's the accolades? Where's my promotion? But we go to the grind of one more oil change. You look at that sticker and you're like, I feel like it just, ah, it's due again. Or one more doctor's visit. There is a grind there, but there's goodness to be found too. There's a grind to the everyday supernatural part of our life. But if we tap into this, this thing that if we're a part of this mustard seed type life, mustard seed glacier perspective, there's goodness there even in the present moment too. So the value in our culture is fast rise and big results. But as we look through the scriptures and look to Jesus first, we see that, that the, the kingdom of God value isn't fast rise and big results. That's what reality, God says, reality isn't about all that. I know it's tempting. In, in Mark 6, 3, listen to how Jesus is described. People are saying, isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters with us? And they took offense at him. So here, we don't know exactly the day-to-day -day life of Jesus, but that word carpenter in Mark 6, 3, it's, carpenter is one valid translation, but there's a lot of Bible experts that say that word that was used there was like a day laborer, like his father, that, that was skilled in carpentry and kind of a, we can build a lot of different things and, and fix a lot of different things. And from all accounts, we know that Jesus spent the first three decades of his life, it was very likely that he was being apprenticed to his, his father, Joseph. And I've been to the, the place, There's if you're on the Lake of Galilee and you can see kind of where Nazareth is and where Capernaum is, he spent most of his life and ministry in this really small geographical area. And here we are scattered on here on, on online talking about him 2,000 years later. But yeah, he spent 30 years being a day laborer. What was Jesus doing all of that time? God incarnate was 30 years in, in preparation before he started 
his ministry. And his ministry started as this little tiny time span. If you look at the timeline, basically three years. And God used that to, to change empires, change human history. Imagine being a day laborer. No wonder Jesus identified so much with, with the injustices of the temple system and the injustice of having a foreign oppressor and having to pay taxes to Rome. No wonder he identified with those folks so much. When I look at that and look at my how much of my 20s and 30s did I wonder, God, am I, are, are you using any of this? I was looking around for the avalanche stuff, but now as I look back and I'm, I'm still learning and still growing, but I've learned a thing or two in my 44 years. I'm looking back going, oh, the grind when I was 26 of learning that lesson. Oh my goodness, the patience that, that I, I, you know, I heard people tell me, oh Mike, someday you're gonna miss it. You, you're infant, yes, you're up at three in the morning, but you're gonna miss that closeness. And now I've got a 14 year old and and it's just really awkward when I try to pick her up and give her a bottle and, and just, just snuggle her tight. For, for some reason, uh, she's not into that. Uh, and I haven't tried that. I, you know, she takes karate. That would, <laughs> that would be dangerous. I got to protect this. I get an elbow right to the face. But how often do we look around at our life going, you know, where's the avalanche? But we miss that slow, steady activity of Jesus working on our lives. So I remember it in a really, really, I don't know, how do you describe the time of your life where it's the dark night of the soul and you're questioning everything and <laughs> the barn of your faith is burning down? I don't know how you describe that time, but I had a wise mentor tell me, hey, Mike, you're wondering what's next. And you're thinking, you're probably thinking that, that God's answer is just like a week away. But this journey that you're on, I was, I was moving from one ministry position to another. He said, don't rush this. It's about timing and preparation. And if you're taking notes, I want you to write that down. It's about timing and preparation. And he wasn't just talking about the year long between wondering, okay, I'm leaving this position and I'm wondering what's next. George was talking about life, this life that we're living from birth until we transition into the next life. This is about timing and preparation. That's such a freeing statement to me because timing doesn't mean our timing. I'm a patient guy, but there's a lot of times that God isn't on my timeline. It's about God's timing, and it's about God's preparation. God is preparing us. As long as you have breath in your lungs, God is preparing you. He's, God's mold, God wants to mold you and shape you, and you can choose to participate with that. You can choose to walk away from that, but something is shaping you. And we have a choice. We can't control our circumstances. We can't control all the externals, but we can control our response. And no matter what pain is in our life, no matter what 
disaster is out there in, our, in the nations, we can choose how we respond to it and we can let God do a spiritual judo move and, and make us more Christ-like. It's not fun. It's not, it's not all fluffy clouds and, and unicorns and holding hands and this is amazing. But that preparation molds us, it refines us, and it can, it can draw our roots deeper into Jesus as God moves us along. I once heard uh, my boss inspiring us and say, he said, you overestimate what you can do in a week, but you underestimate what you can do in a year. What a great pithy saying about time management. But that's not how he was using it. He was talking about our character. You know, we overestimate. I, I remember I used to be really big into New Year's resolutions. I remember one, one December, I was like, all right, January 1st, I'm ripping the Band-Aid off. I'm gonna work out two hours a day. I'm gonna cut TV out of my life. I'm gonna, I'm gonna read my Bible two hours a day. I'm not eating sugar, gluten, um, any, uh, basically I'm, I'm eating rabbit food and, and raw steak, it's gonna be great. Um, and then I realized I couldn't afford raw steak all the time and it just switched to eggs. And, um, and, and I made myself miserable because I wanted by March, move over Brad Pitt, move over uh, Billy Graham, I'm gonna be, you know, spiritual Superman. I was overestimating, overestimating what I could do in a couple of weeks and severely underestimating this slow, steady, incremental change. So yeah, we can overestimate what we can do in a week, but if we're going after Christ-likeness, don't rush it. I was thinking about how how so often in scriptures, we're compared to the temple of God, the house of God. Think about this. I know a lot of you have, have renovated a kitchen, renovated a bathroom. Imagine if Jesus, the carpenter, Jesus, the day laborer, is renovating the, the kitchen of your heart, the temple of your heart. And Jesus, like Jesus was there. Or maybe in your home. Let's use that, that as a metaphor. Jesus is working on your kitchen cabinets. Would you rush that? If you think about this, I, if I knew Jesus was there in my house, I'd be like, take your time, man. You want a glass of lemonade? Let's sit down and talk. We can level those cabinets later. Like, I'm with you. I'm with you. Like, let's take our time. So God doesn't think about time like we do. So this, think about, and from God's perspective, God can view your whole timeline all at once. And something in your life is always shaping you. Are you going to allow Jesus to renovate your heart? Or are you gonna allow some outside circumstance, some other person, some other person in the media, some other person in your life? I want you to be aware that something in your life is forming you all the time. Every day, something, another way to say it, something is always discipling you. Who are you allowing to shape you? Is it your circumstances? Is it, is it external circumstances? Is it people? Where are you running when you're afraid? Who, who gets the say? Are you listening to the voice of the good shepherd or are you listening to the voice of the butcher?
And that voice of the butcher says, go for the avalanche, make your life an avalanche, run, burn the candle at both ends. Do it, you gotta work harder, you gotta strive more, you gotta produce something and it's gotta be public and everybody's gotta see it and then you'll really matter. But that's not how the kingdom of God works. So, uh, third point, and I'm talking about the spiritual greats, the spirit we have in scripture. Even the greats ground things out. You know how they say life is a grind? If you feel like you're grinding things out right now, you're in really, really good company. We talked about Jesus, 30 years of preparation. We also see that the Apostle Paul wasn't always just this amazing apostle starting church after church after church. That's not how he spent all of his time. In Acts 18, it tells us, after this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. So I want you to focus on the tent maker part. Paul, yes, in his youth, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees, but he also had a trade. And he wasn't just setting up, setting up a, a fancy North Face tent with the, with the fiberglass poles. Tent making in the first century meant days of hard, skilled, physical labor. And he, he, had, he wrote to a group of Christians, like he, he, he used this trade from time to time so he wouldn't be a burden on other people. Imagine that grind knowing God's using me as one of the apostles to get this word out about the movement of Jesus and it's spreading all over the Roman Empire. All right, and time to make some tents. So this is the kind of mindset that changes the world. When we tap into this, that it's not about the big and flashy, this is the kind of mindset that changes the world and this is the kind of church family, brothers and sisters going together saying, okay, it's one day at a time. This is the kind of church family that changes the world. And I learned this, uh, especially uh, just a few weeks ago. One of our very own graduates of Alta Loma Christian School, she graduated. Now do the math here. Danielle DeRota graduated Alta Loma Christian School from eighth grade in 2017. And she was the student-selected speaker at the University of Redlands in 2023. When I heard that, the math made my brain break. So they, they chose her at the graduation to be the student speaker. And she talked about how to change the world. And right now, I can't show the video to you because of copyright reasons. But so I'm, I'm pulling this directly from her speech. And she talked about how overwhelming it was to change the world. That's what we love to tell young people, go and change the world. She was like, it's too overwhelming for one person to do. And like our eighth graders at school say, if it was easy to change, someone would have done it a long time ago. But she quoted Mother Teresa. I mean, talk about a world changer. Mother Teresa said this, I alone cannot change the world, but I cast a stone across the water to create many ripples. Ooh! That'll preach. If Mother Teresa can't change the world alone, what makes you and I think we can change the world? What makes you and I think we can even change our own circumstances? But imagine 
a bunch of people tossing their stones and creating many ripples. Imagine many people clumped together as God's glacier, as God's mustard seed kind of thing moving along. So it's big and it takes all of us, but we all have a part to play. And I love how she told the story of James Harrison as a, as a very tangible example of how God's kingdom works at the individual microscopic level to move things along. So this guy, James Harrison, he had a chest surgery when he was young and it required a lot of blood transfusions and he made a vow that as soon as he was old enough, according to his country's laws at 18, that he would donate blood every chance he got. And he did, he turned 18, started donating blood. And after a few transfusions, they discovered that his body had developed a rare antibody because of the blood transfusions he received as a young man. And scientists figured out that they could use this antibody to create other medicines to help other babies. Over the course of his life, and he, he, he donated until he was 80, because that's as old as they would let you donate in his country. He made 1,173 blood donations. And because of his blood donations and the antibodies they were able to pull from that, his donations saved the lives of 2.5 million babies all over the world. Something as simple as going to donate blood. Talk about a grind. I don't like being poked with needles. Imagine 1,173 times being poked with that needle, but slowly, it grew and grew. Now there's 2.5 million babies that lived because of his donation. Multiply that by 2.5 million families. That's the kind of life that God uses to, to, to move things along. I believe when, when someone is alive and not dead, God's kingdom is expanding. So in the coming weeks, when it feels like you're stuck, Maybe you're not seeing the results that you want to see. Maybe you feel like the, you're not seeing the movement in your life that you want to see. I want you to think of that glacier. I want you to think of that tiny little mustard seed growing. And I want you to release the results to God. I want this to be your prayer. When you feel like that, God, make me a glacier. God, and you can customize it if you want. God, use me as part of your glacier. And I want you to think of yourself as, as in good company. Think of Moses wandering around for two stints of 40 years, alone in the desert. And then with the children of Israel, I want you to think of David running. Talk about a grind. The anointed king of Israel running from Saul. I want you to think about Jesus preparing fixing a bench, building a table, working on a house for 30 years. I want you to think about Paul pounding in those tent pegs, stretching the canvases day after day. And as you put one foot in front of the other, I think you will be a part of God forming us into something beautiful. So until we're together again, May the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine down upon you. The Lord be gracious to you and give you his peace. In the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit, 
Amen.